What's going on, podcast? In this episode, I speak with New York Giants reporter Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News. Really had a lot of fun speaking with him, and I hope you will enjoy this interview. What's going on, everybody? Dylan Manfrey on hand for the Sport Profile. I'm so excited to be joined by uh, Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News. Covers the New York football Giants uh, for them. So, Pat, how are you doing today? Doing great, Dylan. Thanks for having me on the pod. Of course, of course. So, how have you been handling... You know, quarantine, the lockdown, and everything. Like, does it? What are the challenges that it brings to you know your job covering the Giants? Well, you know, anytime you can't cover players or a team or anything in person, it prevents you from having a level of access where you know you can. You know, like if I go to a, pra- a Giants practice and I'm one of twenty people other than the people who are coaches or players who is watching it in person, that is a, an extremely rare and inside look at how things are functioning, how players are faring on a daily basis. And nowadays people probably, nowadays people probably don't for how much more we are seeing on a daily basis than the average person or than someone who covers the team who isn't there. And so, you know, because they're not having OTAs that we are attending, we're not at practices where, you know, Daniel Jones is going through the motions trying to learn Jason Garrett's offense, so we're not able to see those types of things. So everything we're relying on now is through our phone, you know, our contact lists and uh, our ability to kind of judge and adjudge the organization's functioning and decisions through, more through kind of a, a constant communication with people in and outside the organization. And, you know, you just don't have that kind of eyes on the football uh, that you normally would, even, even during the off-season period. Does it, does it make it harder to, I guess, get athletes to, inter- to interview because you're not there? Like, I'm sure when you're there, there's, like, a scheduled media availability for, you know, various people. You might be able to pull people aside if you need them. But, you know, now doing everything virtually, does it make it harder to get a hold of people? Well, I guess it depends on who you are, um, you know, as a reporter. Like, I, you know, for me, I think, well, certainly there's less frequent access on behalf of, you know, say the team to the media in general, because they're, you know, with OTAs, we would be there, I think at least once a week throughout OTAs, which would mean at least one media availability per week that would include players and likely Joe Judge. And now it's more about, you know, putting in requests with the Giants for players or if you, and it's not just the Giants, but covering the NFL in general, of course, everybody has their own contact list. And so, you know, what, if I'm able to get a hold of a player on my own, then that's obviously all the better in order to develop stories that are both running that day and that maybe I'm working on long term as well. But, um, you know, a lot of you're having a lot of conversations throughout your day and throughout your week that aren't necessarily interviews going in your stories. And that's what I always try to tell journalists and aspire, aspiring journalists is, so many of my most important conversations never actually appear in the newspaper. Really? Um, but, yeah, and so, you know, when you, 
even even though we are in quarantine and we're working remotely and we're missing out on certain levels of access, you know, you can still have the right conversations and the most meaningful conversations now. It really comes down to knowing whether to ask the right questions and knowing who to ask them to. Sure. How have you been able to, you know, build that up over the course of your career, like build up that contact list so you can, you know, feel comfortable going up to someone asking maybe for some inside information or just asking for, you know, to talk to someone? No, that, no, that's a good question because honestly, when I first got into it um, back in college or back in high school, I should say, mm. you know, it all it all started just because I was, uh, you know, I felt like I was better at writing than most other subjects, and my passion was sports and writing, and so I just combined the two essentially. But I came into this more a writer than a reporter, and so the reporting aspect of it, you know, the idea of keeping that contact list, of constantly updating it, of constantly going through it, of staying in touch with everybody on it, you know, all of those things did not come naturally to me at first as far as, you know, waking up every day and attending to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that the longer I've been in the business, the more I've recognized the value of doing that. Right, and that really your job is never your job is never done. I mean, you know, and a lot of professions are this way, but we're talking about this one, and in sports journalism, or whether you want to go into broadcasting, covering sports, or whatever it is, you can always, even if you're not working on a story that day, you could always be sending a text or an email or making a phone call to somebody to check in on them, see how they're doing share information with them, see if they have any to share with you, you know, recognizing that people, you know, it's a two-way street. So if you want people to give you information, number one, you can't always ask them for information every time you talk to them. And number two, you need to have information for them. And so, you know, these are, uh, it's kind of a mishmash of different lessons that, you know, I've learned throughout. But I think what it comes down to is just a recognition that you can always do a little bit more. Of course. Is that something that you've, you know, maybe tried to pride yourself over the course of your career of doing a little bit more, you know, going the extra mile to get, like, you know, an, an extra, sto- an extra like, source or story or interview in? Definitely. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I think also, you know, I think it should apply to your career in general, not just specific stories and the way you operate on specific assignments, but, you know, in general, like, um, you know, right now I cover the Giants and the NFL for the New York Daily News. I write, I'm a columnist, I'm a reporter, I do television, and, you know, sometimes I do interviews or I talk to young aspiring journalists and maybe an attitude, someone might say something along the lines of that, you know, how did you get to where you wanted to be or, you know, say, say you've made it, so to speak. And see, I don't think of things like that. I mean, I'm, you know, this is an amazing job right. and this is the kind of job I always wanted, but you're always pushing for more. You're always pushing for more exposure on national television, uh, more trust from your editors to cover certain levels of stories or to weigh in on a certain subject on a column. Um, you know, to be able to cover the, you know, for example, when I started covering the Giants, I was more just covering the Giants, like that, that, that team and only that team. But now, several years into the beat, 
I'm doing a lot of league-wide stuff as well because my contact list expands because I'm constantly trying to stay in touch with people, learn the game, learn the league, learn information, and organically, it gradually becomes that I'm aspiring to do more, and it ends up that a lot of Sundays, at least, I end up writing league-wide information columns, you know, features, whatever it is, not just covering the Giants, and that's that's kind of an example of how if you always aspire to add more to your resume, to do more, and just just not to sit back and say, this is what I, this is finally where I want it to be, you know, because all around us, this business is extremely difficult. People are getting laid off. People lose their jobs. People get furloughed. Some people can't get that first job in the first place. And so I am very fortunate to be doing what I'm doing, but it would also be a disservice to anyone else in the profession or trying to get into the profession to not constantly try and push yourself and be grateful for what you've earned, but also not rest on your morals. Of course. I've heard, I've heard that from a lot of people that, you know, I've, I've spoken to. So was there ever a time in your career that you were nervous you know, because of the narratives that are said about this industry that you might not be, you know, that you might not get that first job or you might not, you know, be in this for that long. Were, were you ever nervous at all because of that? When you say the narratives, you mean just how difficult it is to right. make it? Yes. Yeah, so, well, yeah, for sure. I mean, so I graduated from Notre Dame, the University of Notre Dame in 2006, and did not get the job in journalism I wanted right away. I had an offer at the Idaho State, the Idaho State, the Pocatello, uh, it was a paper in Idaho, in Pocatello, Idaho. I wanted to say it was the Idaho State Journal, but it was going to be covering Idaho State football and, you know, making peanuts. And at the time, you know, it just wasn't, I mean, I guess somebody who loves journal sports writing and wants to get into the profession might say any job's a good job. But at the time, I also had another interview with Sports Illustrated where I made it to the final round and then I didn't get the job. Mm-hmm. And so I had this idea of, you know what, this is, you know, I thought I was this good and I, this is the only job I'm getting offered, so I'm not taking it. I don't want to move to Idaho, et cetera, et cetera. And so I did another job for a couple of years. I worked at Temple University in academic support for student athletes, and I did good work. But after a couple of years there, you know, it wasn't it wasn't my passion. Right. And when I had a, when I got a second crack after leaving Temple, I that was the moment where I would say this. Having achieved what I had achieved getting into Notre Dame and going through Notre Dame, I was, frankly, um, it was jarring to me how difficult it was to get that first job that I thought I deserved out of college. Okay. And what I learned, what I learned very quickly was the, the thing I was just telling you, which is, you know, you might have worked hard enough to get here. But that has only earned you the right to keep working hard to get further. <laughs> that hasn't earned you anything more than that. And so once I recognized and humbled myself to the fact that I was going to have to prove myself every day, 
you know, however I, however good I thought I was or however ready I thought I was, I had to prove to people every day that I was ready and that I was willing to learn at the same time. And so I started at the Philadelphia Inquirer. I, I told them I was willing to do anything. And they had me sitting on the desk in the high school, uh, in the sports section. I was working for the high school score service, just getting paid hourly, answering the phones from coaches calling in high school scores. Mm -hmm. And it started there. And then gradually they gave me a crack at freelance covering some high school games. And then slowly I ended up covering a Sixers practice, a Phillies practice, a Flyers game. You know, they start letting you do more and more. And all the while, like I said, you're telling yourself, you know, I could do this beat. You know, I feel like I'm ready to do that. I feel like I'm ready for this. Why am I only doing this? The, that, the nervousness of, am I not as good as I thought I was? Am I not as ready as I thought I was? Am I ever going to get the job I want? That ended up being replaced, frankly, you know, very quickly for me with just a sense of a work ethic. I mean, and that I had, that or I already had, but it was just reinforced in my mind that every day you had to grind. And, you know, frankly, a young, young journalists, I'm sure everybody has a job they want, like a certain kind of job. They say like, this is my dream job, or this is what I want to do out of college. Right. But if you're not doing that job first or second or third, the job you're doing instead is still so worth it because you're going to learn more than you ever realized you had to learn. You're going to learn from the ground up how to retain phone numbers and retain contacts and how to treat people. And, you know, so, so I guess what I would say is, you know, appreciate where you are because if you keep working hard and you treat people right, you'll get where you want to go. But don't discount the learning process of where you are, where your feet are on the ground. I really love what you said there because, you know, it just shows the, um, the importance of, you know, being humble and everything. But I have to, I just want to ask because I'm curious, you know, you were at Temple as opposed to going to, you know, Idaho. Do you regret that decision at all to not go to Idaho and cover that, pay and you know, cover that football team? Yeah, it's a good question. No, I don't. Um, you know, well, part of the reason I don't is because of how my career has turned out since, right? I mean, right. Uh, you know, and so I don't know. I don't regret it. I mean, if if that had cost me an entrance into this profession at all and I were still, you know, 15 years later or whatever it is, clawing to get in the business, then for sure, you know, I would have some regret. But, no, I think um, – you know, what it ended up doing was probably just changing where I worked geographically, right. um, you know, in the long term. Um, and who knows what would happen if I took that job first? You know, you never know. But uh, sure. no, no, I don't, I don't regret it at all. In fact, um, sometimes this happened with me in, in at Notre Dame, too. When I was at Notre Dame, one of the summers I did an internship working for a newspaper, but in the business section. Okay. And it wasn't what I, you know, I wanted to do sports, but I ended up doing this to get a feel for something else and, you know, what it's like to work at a paper, but, you know, really be a reporter on a topic that isn't your wheelhouse. And sometimes doing something else 
it can reinforce for you just how passionate you are about that thing you were driving at. Right. And so doing the work I did at Temple had me interacting with people constantly on a daily basis, which is something that I enjoy doing in whatever profession I've been doing. But it also just ultimately strengthened my resolve that I knew what I wanted to do. Like, so basically my decision through my life that I knew what I wanted to do and it was this, that was reinforced. That entire thought process and decision-making was reinforced by not doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense because it, I guess like it lights that fire underneath you again to, you know, like you said before, keep pushing forward to, you know, aspiring to get the next, to get the next thing. Right. 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 And it, and it reinforces for you too, that nothing's going to happen for you unless you make it happen. Of course. Like you gotta make, you gotta make it happen, you know? So when I took that first job and it wasn't in journalism, you know, no one was calling me out of the blue saying, you know, you're way better than this. And you should be a sports writer at a major paper. You know, we want to hire you right away. I wasn't writing. I wasn't in the profession, you know, to, to anyone else, uh, you know, who knew, who knew who Pat Leonard was, you know? So when I, when I ended up giving it a second go, you know, I had to do that myself. And, you know, I couldn't have done it without a ton of people along the way being extremely supportive and generous of their time, of their contacts, um, of their belief in me. And I don't think you'll find anyone at any you know, level of this profession that won't tell you the same thing, you know, it, you, you can't do it yourself, yeah. but it's, it starts with you because people are, people are going to help you if they re- recognize you're, you're putting the work in, right. But no, you know, there's people aren't giving handouts either. Like this is, this is the kind of business where, like I said, it's cutthroat jobs are shrinking by the day. Newsrooms are shrinking by the day. And there isn't anyone in this profession who isn't working their butt off. Right. Who is your mentor or your hero that you have looked up to throughout your career? Or if there was anybody? Wow, that's a good question. Um, Well, he's not my mentor, but Gary Smith from Sports Illustrated. I've actually never even met him. Really? Uh, You know, his writing in Sports Illustrated... And his storytelling is probably the singular most influential, along with reading, you know, the Philadelphia Daily News and the Philadelphia Inquirer when I was a kid, sure. and uh, and everything, and everybody reading them in there. But Gary Smith's writing and storytelling in Sports Illustrated was what you, kind of what I always envisioned I would do or wanted to do, you know, and aspired to. I thought it was the best of the best. Um, but, you know, plenty of people in my career, um, you know, Gary Miles and John Quinn and at the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, Bill Marimo, the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, certainly above all, uh, two-time Pulitzer Prize winner, um, former editor-in-chief. And these are all people, you know, Mike Leary, um, you know, that thousands of people going, you know, Terry Thompson, um you know, on and on and on. And the, this is what's interesting, too. Um, in this profession, you will always you will always need somebody to uh, to 
you always need to ask questions. You will never get to the point where you say, I've figured it out. <laughs> you right. know, in fact, it, and it's, it's just like, it's just like working on a story. You know, when you work on a story, you start from scratch or from a piece of information you've heard or from whatever it is. And you start making phone calls and asking questions and doing research. And every question and answer leads you usually to another question and another answer and so on and so on. And that aspect of being a reporter, you know, you can carry that over and uh, mimic it at the career level, you know. So you can always learn from, you know, someone you get into, whether you're doing television or you're doing sports writing or, um, you know, you're covering a team or you're a feature writer or you're a columnist. There's always somebody extra you know, um, you know, like, you know, Gary Myers, for example, at the Daily News, you know, longtime revered NFL columnist. So when I become the Giants beat writer at the New York Daily News, you know, I do not have anything close to the institutional knowledge and expertise of the NFL and football in general that someone like Gary does. But as co-workers, he can steer me in the right direction or he can simply just be available to answer questions that I have. But again, any mentor you rely on or anybody that you call supportive, you know, they're going to help you, but you need to be the driving force behind asking them the questions that they answer for you and doing the work so that they say, this is a person who is taking my advice seriously and helping themselves with it rather than looking for a handout and just looking to move on. Yeah, I definitely understand that. How, like, what's the best way that, you know, you have prevented yourself from being, like, burnt out, I guess, too? Because, you know, you're always, you know, like you just said, like, you're trying to, you know, continue on with everything that you have. You're trying to find new things to do. Is it ever hard to come up with different ideas of things to write about? Well, as far as stop from getting burnt out, I mean, the, you basically have to learn with, learn to live with it. <laughs> you know, learn, learn to live with the fact that you're going to be, you know, whatever makes you tired, you know, you're going to, it's not going to make you tired eventually doing this job because, you're not going to get fatigue as much as you'll get adrenaline from doing the work. If it's you, if it's the work you love and you're committed to it and it is your passion, you'll get more adrenaline from it than, than fatigue. Um, and as far as, as far as story ideas, um, every writer has writer's block on occasion and just like any profession, people need days off. But for the most part, um, or not for the most part, but for me, frankly, if you're covering something and you're and you're making contacts and you're having conversations constantly, you know, the more contacts you make and the more you become uh, an expert or not, if, if that might be the wrong word, but the more you become learned on a subject, the more that those ideas for stories become organic or sprout from these conversations you have with people that are in the business, you know? So in football, for example, I talk to general managers, people in front offices, coaches, assistant coaches, agents, 
scouts, players, etc. And, you know, NFL people, NFL Players Association, and so on. And through all of those conversations, everyone has a different perspective, everyone has different ideas, everyone has takes on the latest trend in the league, or, uh, you know, some people are more willing to talk than others, you know, some people volunteer information, some people will share it, but only if you ask the right question, some people won't share anything at all, mm-hmm. and so... Through all of those conversations, though, what comes is ideas that can either ignite, it can either be a story idea in and of itself, or it could be a point that someone makes that then ignites an idea you have or confirms something you heard somewhere else that then turns it into a story. But by and large, you just have your antenna up all the time, and as long as you remain diligent and you're doing your work, then you're talking to people in the know who are then pushing everything forward along with you. I may have asked this already previously, so forgive me, but when you were, like, starting out, was it hard to add, you know, come up to, you know, general managers like you just said or, you know, those people that who you are making contacts with and say, like, you know, hey, you know, can I get your number? You know, here's my contact. If you ever need anything, let me know. You know, was it was it ever hard for you to build up that list? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, like everybody else, when I was – younger first starting out, you know, there are certain people that you are more intimidated to speak with or ask a question of than others, no doubt. Um, but I think along the way, well, first of all, I would say this, just like when you're looking for a job, it's more helpful to have a contact or a connection with somebody that you're seeking a job from as opposed to cold calling that person. It's the same way with sources and interviews. So, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't know, let's just use, uh, I don't know, let's use Jerry Reese, the former Giants GM, as an example. Okay. You know, going to Jerry Reese and calling him out of the blue, he's never met me, and trying to interview him, versus, you know, a, 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 guy, a college coach who used to work with Reese, you know, 20 years ago, who I covered in this market, and I still have his number, puts in a good word for me, now I call Jerry Reese and I say, hey, Jerry, I'm so-and-so's, you know, uh, friend or colleague or connection, and I covered him here, and, you know, he speaks very highly of you. So, like, those two instances give you a different example of probably how well that interview is going to go or whether it's going to happen at all, right? And so, Yeah, because you had that previous relationship. Yeah, what I would say is, number one, you're a reporter, so if you have a legitimate question to ask, you shouldn't be intimidated to ask whoever you're asking it of, no matter who they are. But number two is that 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 story I just told, or that anecdote I just told, is that's just an example of how you can get yourself into a position where it won't, it obviously won't even come close to feeling intimidating for you to ask that person a question. Because you've gotten to that person in a natural and responsible way in which they now have a, have an understanding of who you are, where you're coming from, versus like, you, you know, it might be easier because there's a fear of the unknown. It might be easier to fear the unknown if you're just calling someone out of the blue. But, you know, if you're a journalist, a sports writer, news reporter, whatever it is, you know, you should never be intimidated because the more you the more you do this job and the more you talk to people and interview people the more you will recognize or remember 
that everyone you're writing about and talking to is human, just like you. You know, yeah. they might make a little more money than you, um, but and and even to the point, you know, like in the NFL, for example, you say to yourself, "Wow, these GMs are all—they know so much more than I do." You know, I shouldn't second guess them on X, Y, and Z. You know, look at it. these guys are drafting quarterbacks in the top ten, left and right, every year, and almost none of them end up being that good. Yeah. So. These guys, you know, they're working in a lot of information. They certainly have forgotten more football than a lot of people ever ever would know. But they make mistakes just like the rest of us, and they deserve to be second-guessed and questioned just like anybody else. Yeah. What What would you say makes a good beat reporter? Like, what is it, What are some of the characteristics of somebody who is successful in, you know, covering a beat? Because it's a, it, it's a grind, you know, I'm sure as you know. You know, you're... Yeah. You know, you're reaching out to however many people a day, checking, you know, Twitter or social media for any, for anything that's, you know, relevant to, you know, what you're covering. So what, what are some of the qualities of a good beat reporter? Uh, fairness, um, objectivity, uh, diligence, uh, work ethic, you know, relationship building, um, you want people to know where you're coming from, that you're coming from the right place, that your intentions are true. Um, you also, however, cannot be deterred from writing something you know to be true by anybody's agenda or desire for you not to write it. Um, and that goes into when I say fairness and objectivity. Right. Um, you know, to be honest, the most challenging part of my job is that the the idea of a beat reporter who does you know back in the day if you were a beat reporter you just covered the news of the team and you built sources and you uh, had the luxury of really never having to weigh very heavily into the opinion realm and that that would be a way for, so like if there were a columnist covering a team, let's say there's a columnist writing columns about the Giants. So when they deserve to be criticized, when the GM and owner and everybody does something poor or makes a huge mistake, then the columnist might be taking them to the woodshed or pointing out all of their miscalculations and mistakes. Mm-hmm. And the beat reporter is doing more of the nuts and bolts reporting. But nowadays, it's more rare that you have those luxuries and what it's replaced by is the expectation that I will be both the beat writer and the columnist. Right. Now that is, that can be an advantage because it affords me the freedom to vocalize whatever I feel needs to be said and to do the reporting behind whether it's a column or a news story. Yeah. But the cha- the challenge is it can be more difficult to build sources or to convince people where you're coming from if you're writing a news story one day and then you're the same person writing a column that's destroying the franchise for making a huge mistake the next day. Mm-hmm. So that's not a natural way for this job to be done, but because of the numbers have shrunk and because of the way things have evolved, it's more a one-stop shop as far as me being a reporter and a columnist. And so... That's a built-in additional challenge um, of doing of doing the job, and you know. So when I talk about qualities of being a beat reporter, the the idea of that you're fair and objective, and that you are somebody that is trustworthy, 
That is a huge one. Trustworthiness. You're going to find that if you're someone who's also a columnist, there are going to be some people who aren't interested in telling both sides. They want their side told as the, the truth. And so if you're telling a different version of the story that they don't like, because you're not just a beat reporter who they feel they can fight in, but you're also someone who they don't agree with your opinion or they feel like you're painting them in a bad light, that could affect your ability to communicate with them on the beat level because they don't agree with you on a columnist level. Mm-hmm. And so those are, that's an example. I mean, you asked about the qualities of a beat reporter, but I guess what I'm getting at is that's kind of a long-winded way of saying, um, you know, you're going to, you're not just dealing with, you're not the beat writer of, you know, from 1980 who has the cloud cover of the columnist coming over top. Your qualities have to, you have to maintain all of these things, fairness, objectivity, trustworthiness, diligence, etc. You have to do all of these things um, and maintain your integrity while standing your ground on the columnist side as well. So it's an, it's an added responsibility. Um, and you know, a couple of things I would add to, you gotta be there. You know, if you're a beat reporter, you gotta be there. You gotta be there in person. You gotta be there all the time. So obviously now, nowadays, obviously that's different, but when you talk about missing practice days, you talk about missing interviews, you talk about missing, a player's charity event or, or, you know, not seeing a game in person or whatever it is, every day that I'm at the Giants and someone else is not is a day they fall behind. Right. And, and uh, you know, that is, a, that is a critical one. And this is, you know what, Dylan, this is the probably the number one thing I think people need to hear that a lot of people don't do. You need to be able to draw conclusions for yourself. And what I mean by that is some people get into this business and they decide because there's a lot of PR nowadays. There's a lot more PR than there used to be. And public relations staff's job is to present information on the franchise's behalf in a manner that hopefully they prefer it would be disseminated because they have control of it. And so a lot of times no matter what the reality is behind the scenes, a coach or a player or an executive or an owner, a GM, whatever, is going to tell you a version of the story that you, they want you to hear. Yeah. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's half true. Sometimes it's not true. And, you, you know, sometimes people take what they hear at a podium or that they record on their phone or their recorder in the locker room as gospel. Everything you hear is a part of the story, is a part of your reporting, and is a part of your research into the questions and the storylines that you have or know to be ongoing or whatever. You don't need somebody to tell you something if you already know it to be true through other parts of your reporting. And I think what some people miss is they wait for somebody to tell them or to hand them or to, you know, confirm for them officially, let's say, that's how teams like to say it, that something is a reality. But I'll tell you this, the way that I knew the Giants were going to trade Odell Beckham, the way I knew that they were going to fire Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese, the way that I knew they were going to fire Pat Shermer and knew it early, 
the way that I knew Daniel Jones was going to start as early as week three, which is exactly when he replaced Eli Manning, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. These are not things that the Giants told me. These are not things that somebody came to me and hand-delivered to me. These are not things, in fact, these are things, and uh, you know, you asked me about qualities of a beat reporter. You need to have thick skin nowadays. Because when you report something that Giants fans or NFL fans or the, the, the teams themselves don't want people to believe or hear, not only do you get sometimes pushback officially, you also get ripped and torn to shreds and trolled on social media like never before. Yeah. And so not only does that reinforce how solid your reporting has to be, but you also need to have a good um, kind of, um, you need to be able to have a thick skin to handle it. And to, uh, so it, it makes it more difficult, I think, for people to stick their necks out on something. But I promise you, if you're doing hard, good work and asking the right questions and getting to the right information, it's better, you know, do, do your own work. You know, don't wait to do the same work everyone else is doing. Yeah. Do your own, do your own work and it will pay off. Yeah, I definitely understand that. And, you know, I try to, you know, do that with my own reporting every day, you know, with whatever I'm covering. But, you know, like you said before, there's always something more you can do. So I guess one thing I want to ask you, you know, before we wrap up is like, what do you like to do aside from reporting? You know, I'm sure like when you when you're not reporting, you know, what what do you like to do? Like, What are some of your hobbies? Good question. Um, I would say, you know, I, I listen to a lot of music. Um, I play sports, you know, recreationally. I work out. I, you know, played sports all my life. So, you know, whether it's shooting hoops or playing soccer, whatever it is, you know, I stay active. Um, like everybody else, I just like spending time with family and friends, you know, that those are the, the most important things to me are the most important things to me. And so, um, but I would, I would say this, and this is a God's honest truth. My passion is my job. Yeah. And do I have hobbies and things, I, other things I do for sure. But I would be lying if I said that I don't love what I do. And even when I'm not quote unquote reporting, I'm doing it. I mean, it's, it's every, everything about my existence is connected to my job. And, you know, part of the, I actually heard Jerry Seinfeld say this on Howard Stern's show the other day. My dad loves Howard Stern. Yeah. He basically said that, you know, that work ethic isn't the thing when you talk about succeeding in a profession, that love is the, is the thing, because if you don't love what you do, then it shows. And if you love what you do, it shows. Right. And, and that in his mind, it produces results. And I always, I decided at a very young age that I wanted my job and my passion to be the same thing. And, I, you know, different, different societies function differently, but in the United States, people, you know, we, we work a lot and we are very, um, our identities are very tied in general to kind of what we do. You 
You know, it's like the first question everybody asks you. They ask you, you know, what's your name? What do you do? You know, it's like no one, no, no one goes any further in the conversation before they get that answer. Hmm. And, um, you know, and so I just said, well, if I'm going to be doing something every day the rest of my life, it's going to be something that whether it's, whether you want to call it my hobby at one point in the day, you know, and I'm uh, reading a sports book or watching a sports movie or playing a sport or I'm writing about a sport, you could call it my job, you could call it my hobby, whatever it is, it's the same thing. And so, you know, that's, uh, that may be boring for some people to hear, no, but I do have other, I do have other interests, but I promise you that that's the truth. It's got, it's God honest. And I, you know, I definitely understand and appreciate what you've said because I've, you know, I feel the same way. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I like to, I like to do other things. I play guitar on the side just for the heck of it. But, you know, reporting uh-huh. is what I love to do as well. So I definitely understand yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, and re- you know, and, re- and I should add, you know, reading, reading as well as writing. So, you know, reading a couple of newspapers every day, reading magazines. You know, I grew up reading Sports Illustrated cover to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and whether it's books or magazines or newspaper, pick something up and read it. You know, write something every day, read something every day, and reach out to somebody every day. You know, if you do those three things every day, you can start building something in this profession. Yeah. Anyway, Pat, I really appreciate your time with this. It means the absolute world to me. And I'm looking forward to sharing your story. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast episode, everybody. As always, stay safe and thanks for your support.